Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Good morning, how are you? All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is where we find ourselves this morning. We're marching through this beautiful New Testament letter, coming down to the end. And um, as is the case, every time we go through a book, especially one of Paul's smaller letters, as we get towards the end, I start to feel like, oh, I want to slow down because I love this letter so much and want to savor it. And it's like just a, you know, it's just like a beautiful steak that I just want to chew on a little bit longer. Uh, but alas, we will be done with First Thessalonians in a few weeks through the end of uh, August, and then we'll uh, begin another book. We've got a couple things in the pot that we're thinking about and praying about in September that we'll be in through the fall. If you don't have a Bible, as always, we'd love for you to take one of the Bibles that is in the chair rack in front of you. If you don't own one, you're welcome to use that. And if you just happen to forget your Bible today, I'd love for you to use a Bible. Although we'll have the Scripture up on the screen... We really do that as a convenience, maybe, for people that are not familiar with, as familiar with the Bible. I think you'd be really helped if you actually opened up your own Bible and you had it open on your lap and you just became familiar with the words on the page and, and you just kind of learned where they are and, and, uh, and just own that as, as, your, as your word. So I encourage you to follow along with us. As we uh, get into it in just a moment, I want to mention a couple things. Um, I, I want you to pray for uh, and just be updated on Jeremy and Samantha. I won't mention their last name. They are missionaries sent from this church uh, in a sensitive country. They're ministering to the Hupadiku people, and we, I had a chance to do a Skype call with them this past week, and uh, they're doing well. It was so good to catch up with them and just to see their faces even on the computer screen, uh, and it's just a reminder uh, to pray for them, to ask you to pray for them. Uh, they listen to the podcast, and uh, obviously there's a very small number of Christians that are there in this very large city that they are at in their country. And it's a great encouragement to, to just hear uh, the word from their home church. And so uh, I thought I'd mention them. We love you, Jeremy and Samantha. We're so grateful for you. And know that there's, uh, even as you're listening now, there's, there's hundreds of people that are praying for you and thinking of you. Uh, so do pray for Jeremy and Samantha. Also, this morning we have uh, just a, a special, just a brother that I love, have grown to love this past year as I've gotten to know him. He is the, uh, the local leader of the Columbus Baptist Association. Jimmy Blanton, where are you? I saw you earlier. Are you in here, Jimmy, somewhere? Where is he? Raise your hand, Jimmy. Jimmy's right there and is, is his wife with him. Um, it's such a joy to have Jimmy. He is, uh, as we have connected and uh, partnered and joined the uh, the Southern Baptist Convention over this past year and become part of the local association. It has been such a joy to uh, get to know this brother and the other brothers in the city. And uh, we're, we're very grateful for your brother, grateful for the, the ministry that you do in our city. Well, before we read, have you ever had a child that slept, walked, sleepwalked, or I don't even know the tense of the verb there? We did. We had, we have four children, our two oldest boys, I think, when we lived in our first house that we did when we moved back to Columbus, used to, one of them used to sleepwalk in particular. And I'm a light sleeper. I mean, Jennifer can tell you, there's a little, any wind blows, whatever, the cat that her and my children own meows, I wake up. And we used to have one kid that used to just wander around the house sleepwalking. And it would freak me out. I'd wake up and he'd just be like a little Chucky doll wandering around in the house. <laughs> 
freaking me out. The text that we're going to read this morning is a warning against sleepwalking as Christians. Last week we read where Paul, at the end of chapter 4 of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, was encouraging the church there to not be discouraged about their friends that had died that were believers because he spoke about the resurrection when Jesus is coming back to set everything right and that our bodies that are in the ground will reunite with our souls that are with Jesus upon death and we will be glorified and resurrected and we will live with him forever and ever. And then now he draws his attention now to people who are still alive, who are anticipating and waiting and living this life that so often can be mundane and can lull us to sleep. Paul is like that trainer in Rocky, you know, that's in the corner when Rocky's getting punched in the face by, you know, Ivan Drago and Apollo Creed and uh, Mr. T and what was his name, Clubber Lane, and he pops open those smelling salts and he just puts it under Rocky's nostrils and just so he can, boom, wake up, so he's, he's sober and he's alert. And that's what this text is for Christians, for us today. So let me read it and let, let's pray. I think as we look at this text, we're going to look for two truths and then two questions that we want to ask ourselves. So two truths and two questions. Let me read it first and pray, and then we'll work back through. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord... That's Paul's way of saying the return of Christ will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, Children of the day, we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober." having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, as we come to your word, we thank you that we can gather comfortably, freely, and open up your holy and inspired and authoritative word. We pray that your word and the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit that comes alongside of it and opens our eyes and hearts to see it and receive it, would be powerful and present this morning. We pray for Jeremy and Samantha ministering on the other side of the world to the Hupadiko people, 
two people from this congregation, a couple that met here and married here and was sent out from this congregation, this part of us that is doing gospel ministry. We pray for your grace to them, for their language acquisition, for their assimilation into the culture, for their children and their adjustment. Lord, we pray for our nation. We pray that you would convict the hearts of politicians who are so wrong on so many issues. In particular, we pray for the defunding of the wicked organization of Planned Parenthood. We pray that by your grace, you would cause that organization to cease to exist. We pray simultaneously that Christians would be inspired to do more than just click share on Facebook, but that we would be people that are radically committed to the unwed mother and the, the orphan, that we would fill this church with foster homes and adopted children. We pray for Tiffany and Will Clark, who are, I believe, on their way even now to adopt another child from China. We pray for your grace to them. Lord, we pray for our military, for men and women from this church who are deployed in harm's way and some that will be soon. We pray for a quick end to these conflicts and hostilities, and we pray for success in the mission, but ultimately we pray that you would use the, the missions of governments and the uh, motivations of our military and all of the things that are happening there for justice and righteousness and good causes to actually ultimately cause open doors for the gospel in wicked lands. Lord, we need your help this morning. We, we are so often lulled to sleep by a culture that is hypnotic, that makes us feel like we are okay when we are just shuffling through life unaware. I pray that you would rouse our spirits this morning, that Christians would be jolted into a clearer sense of reality, and that unbelievers that are in this room today, Lord, would turn from their sin, would wake up, and see the beauty of the risen King who alone can rescue them from the wrath to come. Lord, I pray that you do all of these things for the glory of your name, for the good and joy of your people, and for the salvation of the lost. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So I want us to see two truths, and then I want us to ask ourselves two questions as we look at this text. Let's read again the first three verses, and then... I think we'll see there very quickly the first truth that is just clear, that is important for us to remember and realize or learn for the first time. Verse 1 says, Paul is saying, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. What he's speaking about there is he's, he's answering the question that the Thessalonian church probably had for Timothy on his checkup visit to them about the return of the Lord. And they were asking about the timing of the coming of Jesus. So they were wondering not only about their dead friends and relatives who were Christians who had passed on, whether or not they would miss the coming of Jesus. And Paul says, no, they're going to be resurrected. And now they're, like a lot of people are today, speculating about the, the return of Jesus. And he's saying, you don't need to worry about that. And he then gives them instruction about what the return of Christ will be like. He says in verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, of the return of Christ, will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying there's peace and security, or in other words, there's, everything's okay, there's nothing for us to worry about, then suddenly 
Destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So one quick thing that we need to see and we need to remember if we already know it or we need to realize for the first time, if you're maybe new in the faith or you're not a Christian, the first truth is that you need to realize that the return of Christ will be sudden, it will be unexpected, and it will be unavoidable. Sudden, unexpected, and unavoidable. Sudden, like a thief that comes. I mean, who's expecting to be robbed? Unexpected, in the middle of the night. That's when thieves generally break in. And unavoidable, he uses the analogy of a pregnant woman with labor pains. And it's not that labor pains are so unexpected, but they are unavoidable. They're coming. It's coming. Jesus is coming again. And notice the contrast that he's, that he's making here between the certain and sure, albeit unexpected, return of Jesus for the world that is walking around thinking that they are okay, but they are not. Friends, that describes a vast majority of the population of the world, of our country, and of this city. People thinking peace, security, football season starting. Thank goodness everything's going to be okay now. And then Jesus will come. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. Paul writes along these same lines, and he, he utters these sobering words. And listen to me. If you, if you are in this room today, and you are consciously aware that you are not trusting in Christ, and maybe you were just invited by a friend, maybe by your spouse who's dragging you to church, or maybe the Lord is sort of drawing you, and you are aware, and you are wondering if person like you can actually be redeemed by Christ. I want you to hear these words from Paul in Romans 13. In in light of all of your doubt, in light of all of your suspicions, in light of all of your unanswered questions, I I want you to hear these words from, from Paul in Romans 13. He says, verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Maybe you are a young person. Maybe you're a lieutenant that's at Fort Benning for I Bullock or A Bullock. And you were like I was 22 years ago. And you kind of think you're a Christian. But now you're here. You don't really know anybody. And there's lots of sort of unsupervised, unaccounted for time. And you'll think, you know, or maybe you're a student at Columbus State. And you're here and you have this newfound freedom. Or maybe you're a a kid from Crosspoint and you just got dropped off by your mom and dad at college. And this is your first week away from home. And there is this subtle temptation to say, you know what? I kind of have this category where I grew up in the church. I believe in Jesus And I'm going to kind of put that in a little box. And I'm going to kind of get serious about Jesus in a few years. 
And for now, I'm going to kind of just sort of do my thing. Yeah, I'm kind of a Christian. And you need to hear these words that salvation, Jesus is coming. And it will be sudden and unexpected and unavoidable. And that should be like ammonia underneath your nose to wake you and to realize that Jesus is coming. So therefore, walk as it is daytime. In fact, this verse right here, Romans chapter 13, was the verse that was instrumental in the conversion of Augustine, the early church father in the uh, 400s. He was battling lust and sensuality and sin. He was in this garden and he had this vision where he heard this child singing this song saying, take up and read, take up and read. And he felt like that was like the Holy Spirit calling him to go to the Bible. And he went to the Bible and he just played like Bible roulette. (laughs) And he opened it up to Romans chapter 13. And as he was battling sin and the flesh and lust, this is the verse he read and he was instantly converted. And as he read this verse, he said that God took away his counterfeit joys and flooded his heart with true sovereign joy. If you were on the fence and you're just sort of walking back and forth, know that Jesus is coming. And it will be sudden and unexpected and unavoidable. So walk as in the day rather than the night. Well, let's keep going. Let's read again verses 4 through 8 and look at the second truth. But you, he now makes this contrast. This is not who you are. So he's speaking about the world, but he's writing to Christians and he's trying to, he's trying to wake them from their slumber. He's trying to get them to see the importance of the day. But you, believer in Jesus are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we, Christians, believers in Jesus, belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And this leads us to our second truth. And we say it a lot here, and I think we need to see it again, is that Paul is drawing a clear contrast between only two types of people in this world. And here's the truth. All people are either spiritually asleep or spiritually awake. He's contrasting all of humanity here. He's saying that there are those who are in darkness, who are walking around thinking that everything is okay, and there are those who are in the light, who understand and are trusting in Jesus and are expecting his return. And to those that are in the light, he's trying to encourage them and saying, stay awake, be aware. All people are either spiritually asleep or spiritually awake. Now within each category, those who are asleep and those who are awake, I think that there's subsets. There's those that are asleep, there are those that just don't care. Maybe they, you know, they don't even believe this. Like, what are you talking about? Who's this clown saying that I'm asleep? I'm okay. There are people that just don't care. And they're, they're, they're the people, like the psalmist says in Psalm 14:1, that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But maybe you have a loved one or a, a child that is grown and they are they are in this category where they just don't really care. They seem to be completely dead to God. I want you to take heart if you have a loved one like this or somebody that you are witnessing to that is in this category because God delights 
in flipping the switch and turning on the lights in a dark room. I want you to get this picture. Darkness and light. That's how Paul describes those who are outside of Christ and those who are in Christ. And, and, and people don't go from darkness to light by mustering up, like by, by starting their own campfires and kind of you know, getting things better. They go from darkness to light by the pure, sovereign grace of God who delights in walking into dark rooms, flipping the switch and causing it to see light. Let me read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you have a loved one or somebody that is in this state of darkness, or even if you are in this state of darkness and you're just starting to realize it right now, I want you to hear this text and be encouraged by it or convicted by it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 1. So Paul is speaking about the ministry and the the verse that I really want us to settle on is going to be towards the end here of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, around verse 5 or 6. But listen to this. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. In other words, to, to people that are in the darkness, we don't, we don't preach the gospel in such a way that we try and tickle their ears or coddle them or tell them this is how Jesus is going to ha- help you have a better Tuesday. You don't want to, you know, just trying to make Jesus, powder him up so that they will sort of accept him as a, as a way to improve their life. No, people need to hear the gospel. They don't need the word of God to be dumbed down. They need to hear. They need to hear about the, the soon return of Jesus, the reality of our sin and where that puts us, and they need to be, they need to be roused out of their sleep. So he says, don't, don't powder it up. Don't tamper with it. But by an open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, in other words, those who are in the dark, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now listen to verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, is that there's two types of people. There are those that are in the dark, and there are those that are in the light. And those that are in the light are not in the light because they figured it out or because they were better. It's because Jesus walked into the room, and just as he did in creation in Genesis 1, when there was darkness that covered the face of the earth, he said, let there be light, and there was light. So God delights in turning dark into lightness. So be encouraged, mom, who has a 25-year-old who is far from God. God is able to save to the uttermost, no matter how dark the room. And then there are people that are not just in a state of don't caring, they're deceived. They've been maybe given false assurance. They've believed a false gospel. They've set up their own standard to judge themselves worthy, even if, even if wrongly. But regardless, there are people that sleep in the dark. Secondly, there are two types, I think there are two types of people who are in the light, There are those who are in the light and ready and busy serving the Lord. And then I think there are Christians who are in the light, but they're lazy. You know, they're awake, but it's like they still have their pajamas on, you know? You know, they're like a, I don't know, maybe like a high schooler over summer vacation. I don't know. It like stays in his boxers until 12 o'clock. I don't know, I'm just... 
I hear that's a thing. I don't know. It's not that I have any personal experience with that around my house with any teenagers that live with me. But I think that there are Christians that are awake but still in their pajamas. And that's what Paul is barreling down on here. So there's two truths. The return of Christ will be sudden, unexpected, unavoidable. And two, all people are either spiritually asleep or spiritually awake. And now he zeroes in on Christians and he is trying to encourage them. Even though you are awake, he is now using his exhortation to keep them awake. He says, let us keep awake and be sober. Again in verse 8, he says, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love and a helmet of hope for salvation. So those are two truths. Now let's look at two questions, and we'll end with this, that Paul is admonishing us as Christians who are prone to sleepwalk. These two questions that I think are implicit in this text. The first question is, what believer lulls us to sleep? What lulls us to sleep? Well, I think there's obvious things, obviously like sin and the world around us. Clearly, that's, that's true. We read in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does of the will of God abides forever. So clearly, I know we live in this broken culture that we we live in. And, And I think about things that lull us to sleep in our culture. Just this this is materialism. I think, about, I think about you guys in the army. I spent a little bit of time in an infantry battalion, and I just know how dark and wicked that can be. And you're in that environment, and it can lull you to sleep, and it can cause your heart to be calloused. I want you to be aware of that, and I want you to fight against that. I think of, we've got policemen in this um, congregation and firemen and just any of those kind of like military-like environments where you got people, there's just like a cynicism that can just grab your heart and where everybody's objectifying women and speaking very negatively about the world. That can have an effect on your heart. And are you aware of that, young soldier? Are you aware of just that, that, that negative, cynical culture that just exists in our world that can drag us down? and lull us to sleep, and deaden our hearts. I think another thing that lulls us to sleep is just life in the digital age. In one sense, the internet is a great blessing, but in another sense, it is a great curse. It lulls us to sleep. I mean, we spend hours. Come on now, this is, about where, it's, this is where it gets uncomfortable. For just, just buckle up for about five minutes. We spend hours browsing the internet, staring at pictures on Facebook, triumphing over how we're better than that guy that we just saw, and then coveting in jealousy over the cute kids of the picture right after that on the newsfeed. We spend hours binging on Netflix. And then we come to God's word because our hearts are so dumbed down and, and calloused over just this world that we've sort of wasted a day on just viewing on a computer screen. And we come across one just little difficult verse and we throw up our hands and say, oh, the Bible's too hard to understand. Uh, I mean, come on, friends. We, it, it's like, do we not think that this has an effect on us? Right? 
I mean, yeah, if you spend eight hours burning through, binging on Breaking Bad on Netflix, and 30 seconds on the Word of God, it will have an impact on your soul. It will. And it won't be a good one. And then there's this other thing. I mean, Kwame and I had lunch this week and we were talking about this. There's this other subtle little trap about life in the digital age. Is this, is this, it's, it's this good cause overload. You know, I'm, I'm scrolling through my news feed on Facebook and there's so many things that I should rightly be concerned about as Christians. I want to share this so I can defund this Help people realize the wickedness of this organization, Planned Parenthood. And I need to sign this petition to free this pastor who's being held. Those are all wonderful things. I'm not saying we, we should care deeply about those. And then there's this thing that I need to care about, about, you know, go fund me, this person who's got cancer in Ohio. And I need to, uh, yeah, it's a friend, and yeah, I need to do that. And I'm just like, oh, these things i got to pay attention to. Oh, there's a cat video. Oh, I'm going to watch this cat do something stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and then there's, then there's this person that gets on my nerves because their kids are beautiful and they seem to always be at the beach every weekend. Oh, and then, what? The SEC writers didn't pick my team to be first in the SEC West? Ah! Oh, yeah, I need to care about, I need to care about the unborn and I need to care about ISIS and, ah, oh, ah! Oh, another cat video. <laughs> Do you see what that does to our soul? It's like cause overload and we just escape into mundaneness. And then we think we've actually done something when we click share. I know it's getting uncomfortable. But friends, we, we, we've numbed ourselves, haven't we? Do you not think that lulls you to sleep? It lulls you to sleep. Now it's about to get even more uncomfortable. And I'm going to speak to the men. Because here's something that lulls men to sleep. Football season is coming. Right? Now listen to me. I am the son of a football coach. I am, I, I am here today because of football, because that's why I went to the college I went to, because they recruited me to play football. I was, wasn't good. I, I didn't, didn't see the field, but that's why I went there, which then caused me to be in the Army to be here to marry this girl. Uh, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I, I love football. I, I, I don't care about just big-time football. I'll watch Division Three, you know, Mount Chickamauga against you know, whatever. But listen to me, men. I can just see it on you during football season. It deadens your soul on Sundays. It deadens your soul. Some of you prepare more for your tailgate and your team than you do to enter the Lord's house. And you spend more time browsing about some 17-year-old in Texas who your team is recruiting and more about whether or not this coach should get fired and all of this kind of stuff and 
who Auburn's going to kick off their team so they can be the next starting quarterback at, you know, Florida State or whatever. I don't know. Or actually, it's the other way around. Whoever can, somebody else can kick off their team so they can be the quarterback there or whatever. Whatever. Busting the chops of your buddy. That your mind is so occupied with things that aren't necessarily sinful, but deaden your soul. And then, then here's the other thing, is then when you come into the house of the Lord, like you're out there with your buddies doing your kind of thing, and then you meander in about 10 minutes late, and you're still thinking about checking scores, you're not really paying attention, haven't read God's word all week, and then you meander out, and then you talk about football some more. And do we not think that this deadens our soul? It deadens our soul. And ladies, look, you got your stuff too, right? So, so, so men, breathe. Okay, exhale, guys. You got your stuff too. I don't know, Etsy, Pinterest, whatever, HGTV, Fixer Upper, whatever, these shows that you watch. It deadens our soul. And these are good things that aren't necessarily sinful things. But when we consume our lives with them, it deadens our soul and lulls us to sleep and makes us like zombie Christians who are hanging on by a thread and who are rendered fruitless in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again to judge the world. And someday, I think that there will be Christians who will stand before God and they will be ushered into his presence and there will be great joy. But I just wonder if there will be a moment of regret because we have wasted our life on trifle things. Go to the game and enjoy the steak. Root for your team. Decorate your house. Do your thing. All of that. But friends, let's not let our hearts be lulled to sleep by trivial things. Because Jesus is coming again and he works through his people and their vibrancy and their alertness to be the means by which he wakes people from their slumber. You know how he causes people that are in the darkness to go to people in the light? By opening their eyes to see people that are in the light who are really alive, not walking around like zombies in their pajamas arguing about football and Facebook. So friends, what lulls you to sleep? The second question, and we'll end on this. How... Do we stay awake and sober? How do we stay awake and sober? Well, just two thoughts here. I think number one is that we, and Paul points us to this in the text, we remember the gospel. Like He, he, he speaks about that in, in the text. He says there in verses uh, 8, 9, and 10. Let's read that again. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate, breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, listen to this. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So notice what Paul grounds his motivation in. He's saying, be awake, be sober, Because God has not destined you for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't point to all the benefits in this life, although they are innumerable of the Christian life. He doesn't point to that. He says, Jesus is coming again, and he saved you from wrath. 
He saved you from the judgment of God. So let that be what wakes you up and causes you to have a clear head and realize, yes, I need to be awake and sober. A couple weeks ago, we had another one of those thunderstorms, you know, that rolls through the south in July and in Georgia, and a tree fell in our front yard and snapped our power line. So we have this telephone pole that kind of runs out to River Road, and it runs back to the neighbor's house, and the power line's kind of in the very front of our house in our front yard, and the tree fell, and it snapped the power line, and half of the tree was still like leaning on the ground against the pole, or against the, the remaining cords that were up there between the power lines. And so I went out there with Jake. We got the chainsaw, cut the tree down into little pieces to kind of get it off of the thing. And there was this cable that looked just like the cable that holds up the telephone pole, just this steel cable. And, I mean, I told you I was the son of a football coach, right? I'm not the sharpest guy in the world. I just grabbed the cable and just kind of moved it away. And it was the power cable. Now, the power company guy to come correct it, we called him, he comes out in his truck, and we're just kind of sitting there, he's waiting for a guy that had the right equipment, and I was just telling him what I did, and I said, yeah, I moved this out of the way, and he, he, I mean, he just, he just stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, sir, don't ever touch that cord, that cable again, don't touch it. I said, no, that's just the cable that's holding up the pole. He says, that's your power cord. And he says, when it snaps like that, there's a little breaker on the road thing off the main source that's supposed to trip. But sometimes that fails. And if that would have failed and you touched that, you'd have been dead before you hit the ground. Which would have been a less than glorious way to go than actually spontaneously combusting in the pulpit <laughs> in my last sermon at Crosspoint in my mid-80s. <laughs> that'd have been terrible. Reynolds or Doug or one of the guys would have you know, Brad wanted to go in the pulpit, but he burned to a crisp in his front yard the other day. <laughs> Next guy up, man. <laughs> but you know what? I will never forget that. And I will, <laughs> I will never touch another cord. I don't even, I, I like walk around the pole. I give it 10 feet now just when I'm walking in my front yard. Because that guy looked at me and he stared me straight in the eye and he told me what would have happened if I touched that thing again and, it hadn't, and I hadn't been saved. He said, you would have been dead before you hit the ground. And that's Paul's logic here, Christian. That's Paul's logic. He's grounding salvation in the future, in our salvation, not from a less than minimal life, but from God's certain wrath for rebels. Right? So here, how do you view your salvation? Did Jesus merely help you from a stubbed toe or from a less than optimal life or from a rocky marriage or from difficult parenthood or from dissatisfaction with this world? He does all of those things. But friends, Paul uses as his motivation to wake up Christians who are still in their pajamas the certain judgment of God that is coming and barreling down on people who reject him. And when we realize what we have been saved from, it produces in us a sober-mindedness. It deepens our worship. It opens our eyes. It clears our spiritual nostrils. It unclogs our polluted ears so that we can see, smell, hear, and taste and see the glory of the Lord in our salvation. Friends, we need to remember the gospel to stay awake. 
And then secondly and finally, how we stay awake is we need to plant our life in the local church. Notice what he says in, in verse, verse 10 there. He says, or verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I mean, come on, who can do this alone, man? Who can do this alone? We need one another to stir one another up, to remind ourselves of these truths. We need to exercise watchfulness over one another. We need to care. We need to have our our head on a swivel to think about those around us and and plant ourselves in a local church so that we are known and we know others and we take a responsibility for one another. Just this weekend, we're having a membership class and sitting down here with about 40 or 50 folks that are going through our membership class this weekend, and I was talking to them about coming into a new church and being a member of a church, and I said, one thing that, you know, there's ways to get involved, there's things to do, there's tangible things, there's ministries to sign up for, all that thing is, all those things are good. In fact, that children's ministry thing, do that. I I mean, just let's, let's do that. But there's this intangible way of planting your life in a local church where you walk in that door on a Sunday morning and your head is on a swivel and you are alert. And maybe on your ride from your house to the church, you, I mean, kids were screaming, your husband's a knucklehead, all this kind of stuff. You're mad. You get in there. He didn't pack this. He doesn't. He's off talk doing his thing. You're angry, and you're just, uh, you just want to sit down. You don't want to deal with anybody, but if the moment you walk in that door, if we just have this sense that we care about people around us, and we find somebody that we don't know, that we just sort of look like they might be anxious or new, and we just go to them, and we care for them, and we invite them to our home or to our community group, or we sit by them, or we encourage one another, or if we know a person in this congregation is down, or we haven't seen them in a while. We don't wait on other people to call them or reach out to them. We do it, friends, because all of us, all of us are so easily lulled to sleep. All of us are, and we need each other. We need to be planted in the local church to help one another remember the gospel so that together we will be awake and we will be leaning forward Longing for that day when Jesus comes again. And by the vibrancy with the way that we are walking in the light, God uses that to cause people in the darkness to stare at it and be transferred from darkness to light. Oh, praise God. Praise God. I don't want this letter to end. It's so good. Let's pray. Father, as we come now to respond to your word. I pray for several types of people in this room. First, I pray for Christians like me who are so prone to sleepwalk. I pray for this upcoming football season for many men in this room who who for some reason are more passionate about their team than they are about the gospel. We confess that, Lord. I'm like that a lot. Lord, reorder our affections so that we then can rightly enjoy all of these things. This isn't an this isn't an anti-world. We need to just be... No, you, you didn't take us out of this world. You left us in it to be witnesses. 
You say in 1 Timothy 6, 6, that we are to richly enjoy everything that you've given us. So let's enjoy these gifts. Let's enjoy recreation. Let's enjoy football. Let's enjoy all these things. But Lord, let them not lull us to sleep and steal our joy and affection. And let us see them as strategic opportunities to encourage one another. Let's, let's gather around the TV set and let's let, let's let football just be the means by which we get together as Christians and invite unbelievers in to, to encourage one another and to be a witness for the gospel. Lord, for us, for us Christians that are so easily lulled to sleep by this world, God, rouse us from our slumber and, and get us out of our PJs and let us dress for action and let us repent of sin and let us plant ourselves in the church and let us care more deeply about one another than we do for ourselves and let us get outside of ourselves and our, maybe our introverted nature or maybe our hobby or whatever. Let's, let's get outside of ourselves. Give us the beautiful blessing of self-forgetfulness and rouse us from our sleep. God, rouse us from our slumber so that through us you might wake dead people who are in the dark and you might make them awake and alive. And that you would use the means of the vibrancy and the joy and the earnestness and the sincerity of our life together as a local church, that you might use that as the means by which you draw those who are in the dark to the light. So Lord, I pray for first that person like me. And secondly, Lord, I pray for people in this room who came in in darkness. We've already prayed, will prayed for them at the very beginning. Robert prayed for them. Paul prayed for them in each of their prayers that you, Lord, would cause those who came into this room who were spiritually dead, that you would make them alive. Those that are in darkness, that you would cause them to walk in light, that you would flip on the switch, that you would cause them to see the beauty of Jesus. And friend, if that is you right now, right now you need to not fill out a card or necessarily repeat anything you right now you need to look away from yourself and you're trusting in your own self and you need to look to Jesus you need to walk towards him you need to put your hope and your trust in Christ and what he has done to as this text has said bear the wrath of God Jesus is God and he became a man and he obeyed every rule and law and regulation that you and I should have obeyed but we couldn't because we're sinful and he laid down his perfect life on a cross and he absorbed the wrath of God for all those that would ever trust in him and he rose again in victory over sin, death and the grave and now is alive and now he commands you, he pleads you, he beckons you, he bids you to come to him not to say that you have it all figured out but he bids you to come and put your hope and your trust in him who alone can bear the punishment that you deserve he bids you even now dear friend to come out of the darkness and into the marvelous light he bids you to open up your eyes he bids you to see and savor himself do that even now right now where you are turn away from trusting in yourself. Turn away from cynicism. Turn away from doubt. Turn away from despair and say, Jesus, I love you. I trust you. I put my hope in what you have done. Forgive me. Friends, he, 
he not only will answer that prayer, he's given you the ability to even say it. Do it even now. Do not leave this room without talking to somebody that you know to be a Christian and tell them that you are trusting in Christ now. Father, I pray that you would answer these two prayers. For those that are Christians, for those that are not, do these things for the glory of your name, for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.